I know, I know. There's only about a hundred other dead amusement parks we have to cover now. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends, born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ulfstrom. Like most people, when it's cold and windy outside, all we can think about are sun, snakes, skis, and porpoises, not to mention llamas and fishes. That's right, we're talking about Sea-Rama, that wonderful long-lost jewel of Galveston Island. But first, what's your favorite derelict structure that you visited in Texas? Well, um, I recall uh, once going on a field trip uh, to the Bolivar Peninsula when I was a kid, and we visited uh, Fort Travis out there. And uh, I always thought that was cool because other than Battleship Texas, that was probably the first genuine uh, World War II era fortification I'd, uh, I'd ever seen up close. Um, there's still a lot of bunkers, concrete bunkers and uh, the gun emplacement pits and all of that stuff there. And that was fun to, to climb around in and explore. Very cool. Uh, well, I've been to the uh, Baker Hotel in Mineral Wells, although I hadn't gone very far into it. I told the story in our spooky Halloween episode about haunted buildings that we, you know, I went there one time, several times and as a kid and one time peeked up through a, uh, through a staircase into the actual hotel proper and saw the weird, shadowy, dilapidated area of the hotel, but uh Hopefully they will be able to get it repaired and fixed up. Sp- I doubt it, though. Spooky, Spooky. Baker big, Hotel. Big, big, creepy hotel in the middle of nowhere. Well, uh, does the Alamo count? No. Because it belongs in a museum! <laughs> no, <laughs> It is uh, a museum, Mike. I know it is a museum, but I just love Indiana Jones movies. Can you blame me? Uh, you know, the other thing I was thinking about was there's a... And from our Haunted Places episode, there's a abandoned hospital. Mm-hmm. There's a super creepy abandoned hospital in South Texas, like not very far from um, the farm my mom grew up on. It's like, that place is, you know, the people say it's super haunted. And I'm like, no, thank you. No, thanks. I don't need to go into your super haunted hospital. It just, it, the pictures of it just look like you could just get tetanus walking into it. Oh, and it's like, hmm, very <laughs> interesting. Take a picture. Let's move on. Yeah. Long before SeaWorld came to San Antonio, the premier venue for aquatic amazements in Texas was Galveston's own Sea-O-Rama. Touted at its opening in 1965 as the first location of its kind between the Atlantic and the Pacific coast, it was the only park in America to feature three distinct attractions, an oceanarium, an aquarium, and an amphitheater seating over 1,000 people for live animal shows. It also had the only porpoise show pool with glass panels along the side for people to observe, now common, and was the only marine park not on a coast to have a resident whale. <laughs> well, Galveston was already, as we've talked about in our previous episodes, Galveston was long a tourist hotspot on the Texas coast. A business consortium in the late 1950s decided it would also be a great place for an oceanarium. They purchased a massive amount of land on the west end of the island for just that purpose. Now, if you recall, looking at a map, Galveston runs from runs basically southwest to northeast uh, at an angle. 
After a raft of economic studies, the final site was chosen near the intersection of 91st Street and Seawall Boulevard. Ground was broken in April 1964, with construction starting less than a year later on a 38-acre site. The architect, Austinite Winifred O. Gustafson, was mostly known for churches, restaurants, schools, and some homes, as well as a few defense projects during World War II. The engineer for the facilities was none other than Kenneth E. Zimmerman, who also supervised the construction of the fabled Astrodome. The new venture was able to avoid a lot of the new park pitfalls with the assistance of experienced professionals who had worked at Marineland in Florida. The site on 91st Street was chosen not only for its accessibility to the greater Houston area, but especially for its proximity to natural saltwater and marine life. Its construction was greatly supported by the Galveston government and the community, as they were looking for ways to extend the appeal of the island past the summer beach season. Sierrama, while having outdoor attractions like the Porpoise and Whale shows and their ski show, was also home to an oceanarium that could be open to tourists year-round. Sierrama officially opened to the public on November 7, 1965, and had an estimated final cost of $2 million. 2,000 people attended that day, which was a much larger crowd than expected. They had to double their planned number of porpoise theater shows, as there was only seating for 1,000 at a time. The high price of admission that day, $2.25 for adults and $1.75 for students. A bargain at any price. (laughs) Well, there were two live shows presented in the first year of operation. In addition to the porpoise show outdoors, there was an indoor show featuring over 50 species of the larger, more dangerous fish of the world. These included sharks, barracudas, and giant sea turtles. I guess that's the larger, not the more dangerous. Yeah. A, a diver descended into the 160,000-gallon seawater tank of the Oceanarium several times a day to hand-feed the fish while the narrator explained and educated. And that diver... His name was Chuck Norris. No. <laughs> no. 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 It has to be Chuck Norris. And he held his, his breath. It jumped into no. a tank with sharks and barracudas to hand feed them, <laughs> sir. <sighs> the Oceanarium building itself was circular. The Oceanarium tank was in the center. The big saltwater tank was in the center. And there were 28 so-called jewel tanks lining lining the inner walls of the building, split between saltwater and freshwater. They contained a plethora of Texas game fish and other local species, as well as more exotic varieties from all over the world. Just about every known variety of fish was represented. Not every species, but every general type. You got catfish, raidfish, <laughs> drum. Flander. Over here you got your, got your croakers. <laughs> <laughs> Everything we could just we just put a big net in the bay and just brought it indoors. Over its first ten months of operation, Sierrama saw an impressive two hundred thousand people come through its doors. Over nine thousand of them were students of all ages, and the facility employed over thirty-three full-time workers. Within two years, oceanographers had named Sierrama one of the best aquariums in the world. In the following years, would see many shows and exhibits come and go as popularity, economics. And the fickle whims of tourism waxed and waned. The star attractions, of course, as they have been at SeaWorld for decades, were the whales of all types. And the first whale to live and work at Sea Rama was Nemo the pilot whale. 
He was an orphan, and he came to Galveston from SeaWorld in San Diego and started his life in Texas, eating about 40 pounds of whipped cream a day. He also brought along his toy tractor tire and his fire hose. His shtick was going through the first day of school, complete with doing high jumps and playing baseball. In 1968, Nemo was joined at the park by Mammoth the Killer Whale, who lived at Sierrama for six years until his death in 1974. At the height of his time at Sierrama, Mammoth starred in his own Texas-style radio. T- <laughs> at the height of his time at Sierrama, Mammoth starred in his own Texas-style rodeo titled "The Last Roundup." At the time, it was one of the few places in the world that had killer whales in captivity. Yeah, I think it was pretty much SeaWorld, uh, Sierrama, and you know maybe a couple of other parks. Now, the Marine World Review Porpoise Show was always the central attraction at Sierrama, with multiple shows every day. Porpoise and dolphin shows are everywhere now, but in the 1960s, there were still relatively few places you could see it. They performed all the good tricks like high jumping, tandem pole jumping, firefighting, and even playing baseball. It was a popular theme with uh, the whale shows at the time. While it started with just porpoises, over time they added other animals to the routine, including sea lions, penguins, and pilot whales. There was a 1968 Christmas show which took viewers around the world to celebrate different traditions of the holiday. Uh, By the end of the 1970s, they'd begun referring to the animals as dolphins rather than porpoises, and the show got renamed the Disco Dolphin Review. Um can only imagine the music that they played during that show. I like to think that it would be Miko's remix of the Star Wars theme. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. It was a different time, kids. Truly a different and awful time. Around 1980 or 81, the Sierrama Dolphin stage got redesigned and updated from its multicolored graphic theme to one that celebrated Texas. The show got renamed to A Salute to Texas, and the Dolphins did high-flying pinwheels and tailwalks, among other trips, to music that evoked the history and culture of the Lone Star State. A tiny tear is rolling down my cheek right now thinking about this. (laughs) In 1986, they rotated two shows, The Sights and Sounds of Galveston and Dolphin Dimensions. According to author Tim Gould, the best dolphin show in the park's history was in 1989 called Dolphins, Myths and Legends. The first part of the show was what everyone had come to expect, with narrator-led demonstrations of dolphin jumps and tricks, with the trainers on the side of the tank guiding them. But in the second half, the narrator fell silent, and the trainers entered the water, swimming in choreographed dances with their animals. The big finale was two dolphins pushing a trainer by their feet to the bottom of the tank, and then turning around and pushing the trainer back to the top and high and in the air. There were many other animal attractions that were added and removed over the years, including a sea lion pool, an alligator show, a snake show, and a petting zoo. Now, various other land animal acts were tested, and some lasted longer than the others, like a bear show and presumably copying the Aquariana Springs feature, a pig show. Well, Aquarina Springs. Yeah. Well, now, uh, there were actually two different variations on the pig at Sierra. Okay. This no. is referring to a, a land pig A land show. pig show, not a sea pig show. Yes. Okay, well, I'll give them that. We'll, we'll talk about Aquarina Springs. We'll talk about Aquarina Springs later. Uh, there was one particularly popular act called the Noah's Ark Show, which ran 
from 1972 to 1976. It featured a trainer as Noah and Fat Albert the Elephant Seal as his helper. I don't remember that part of Genesis, but we'll go with that. Uh, he tried to organize all the other animals to get them into the ark. They had a kangaroo, a monkey, several pigs, and even exotic birds doing tricks on a floating stage in the ski lagoon when it wasn't summer. And it was actually part of that show on the uh, the floating stage where they had a swimming pig for a short amount of time. Uh, um, but not Ralph the swimming pig. No, that, that pig was, was famous. Uh, yeah. That's a new pig I never heard of, Scott. (laughs) Now, speaking of the Ski Lagoon, uh, one of the most popular attractions outside of the Dolphin Show was the Sierrama Ski Show that started in 1969 and ran for 20 years. Performed on a four-acre man-made lake daily during the summer and on weekends in the spring and fall, the Ski Show featured high school and college students. Their tricks included barefoot skiing, jumping, and crisscrossing off of ramps, and the classic human pyramid formations, among others. Visitors to the 1,500-seat ski stadium thrilled to their shenanigans following many different themes throughout the years. The first show in 1969 told the story of famous Texas pirate Jean Lafitte, who once had his home on Galveston Island. Well, it told a story about Lafitte. told a story about Lafitte. Well, they told a story about Lafitte as he and his men were shipwrecked and on an island inhabited by mermaids, which are not real. But Lafitte's original headquarters was near the site of Sierrama, even if the existence of these mermaids is still in dispute. P.S. It's not in dispute. Other (laughs) ski show themes included the greatest show on water circus show, the Wild Wet West, which incorporated many famous Western characters, <clears throat> wait, 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 wait. Like, so, like, Billy the Kid on skis? I'm Billy the Kid, and I'm skiing! That would not surprise me in the least. <laughs> it's the Wild Wind West! It also had things like Surfing to the Sounds of the 60s, which was performed in 1982. So this was a little before Cocktail, and the Beach Boys had their real renaissance. And also Smash, which was an homage <laughs> To the MASH TV show, because that's what kids want to see. (laughs) Finally, they just threw up their hands, and the last theme uh, in 1989 was simply Hillbilly. I I think the theme director of the ski show watched a lot of television. Uh, It it could be. (laughs) It's the wildest show on earth! (laughs) By the end of the 1980s, the illustrious history of Sierrama was coming to a close. 1988 saw the official opening of SeaWorld in San Antonio. Dum-dum-dum. Competition down the street, down the road. The end of I-10. Um, it had become more and more difficult for Sierrama to keep all the animals fed, as the massive tonnage of herring alone required to feed the porpoises and dolphins was in short supply. I guess there was a run on herring at the time. 1989 saw several setbacks, including the death of two dolphin calves and a Pacific black whale they had just acquired the year before. Attendance continued to decline after the opening of SeaWorld, and the facilities at Sierrama had started to show major signs of deterioration. Citing rising costs and low attendance, the, the owners put the park up for sale. The final shows were performed on January 14, 1990. The animals were sold off to various other parks and research facilities, but the property itself lingered on. The original plan was to turn it into a research and educational site. Once the last of the animals had finally been moved out, some of the 
<clears throat> Some of the buildings and tanks were used by local educational programs, but soon the site was just left to decay. For more than 15 years, the formerly vibrant Sierrama was left to time and the elements. The last vestiges were finally torn down in 2006. After Hurricane Ike hit Galveston in 2008, the old Sierrama site was actually used as a debris collection area. They collected debris from all over the island and piled it up there until it could be uh, sorted and uh, removed to landfills as necessary. Today, if you look hard enough, you can find the barest evidence that Sierrama was ever there. The old entrance road, maybe. The ski lake appears to still be there, but it's not much to look at. In the end, what we have is what Sierrama was really good at. Creating memories. Um, I just want to say that a lot of the research for this uh, show came from a great book that I found that was published by a former Sierrama employee. Uh, his name is Tim Gould, and it's called simply Sierrama Marine World. It's available on Amazon in both physical and Kindle editions, and it's mostly just a great a collection of memories and a catalog of different attractions and, and the history of, of Sierrama. It's a lot of great photos that he's collected over the years. And uh, in addition to the book, you can also see his collection, most of it, I think, if not all of it, online at his website that he compiled. That's at Sierrama.com. And uh, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. So yeah, Sierrama. I way before there was ever a Sea World that I knew about or visited, uh, there was Sierrama just down the road in Galveston. Um, I could probably, I don't know how many times that I went. I know for sure that I went once because I remember seeing stuff there. But uh, you know, I could have gone many more times. I know I've been with uh, went with the school on a field trip once. Uh, saw the the snake and bird show. Uh, that was fun. They didn't bring them all out at the same time. I think I think that would have been a a conflict there. But uh, um, and of course the the, the dolphin show uh, probably you know sometime in the early '80s is when I went. Um, but yeah, I it, it was a really cool place. See, I I wish I'd known that this had been there. Um, I just I wasn't even. You know, we didn't go to Galveston. We didn't head down there. But man, like that sounds like a fun, fun, awesome show. And God, I'm a, I'm I'm crazy for ski shows. What's really funny to me is I went to uh, Tim's website, the Sierrama. I was looking at some of the pictures, <clears throat> and it's funny. Um, while I never went to amusement parks, I do have vivid memories of seeing pieces of. Jaws 3D as a child. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but you go back and watch that with a very young Dennis Quaid, uh, you know, and you're like, oh, like the, that's what the pictures look like. They look like what the futuristic sea world in that movie looks like to me. Minus yeah, the shark and, stuff. That, and that was one thing that always stuck with me, you know, even visiting as a kid was the, I guess that, you know, the way the buildings looked, it was a very distinctive uh, architecture and shape to things. It was like the, that all concrete, uh, as you said, sort of futuristic it, architecture. It kind of reminds me a lot of uh, the buildings that you'll see at uh, Epcot Center in Florida. Um, just kind of got those, those angles, those sharp and smooth concrete angles. I don't know. It, it, it sticks with you. It's a very unique shape. 
Well, and the 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 kind of the spoked wheel uh, uh, shape of the main Ciarama building is very evocative of the Zimmermans that the designed the the, the Astrodome. So, yep, yep. Um, it has a lot of the same features. I, I when you, you know we talked about this earlier, I I didn't have a memory of going there, but then when you sent us the pink links to the pictures, I remember going and seeing that when I was really a young kid when we had a trip to Galveston. So I'm pretty sure we went there. Uh, probably you know, some of it's conflated with Moody Gardens, which is on the other side of the island, or, or the first time we went to SeaWorld, which would be probably in you know 89, 90. But uh, I, I distinctly remember that shape of that entrance and the shape of the uh, the amphitheater with the with the uh, the dolphins show. So as a as a as a young kid, so yeah. definitely definitely went there. But not not the memories that you guys and your family seem to have. I just yeah. what, what's um, this about a what's this about about a llama? Oh, <laughs> yeah. One of the the great stories that my my wife and her family like to tell is uh, when they went. Uh, to see Arama once, um, there was the the petting zoo they had there where they had deer and they had llamas, and apparently one of the llamas uh, tried to uh, eat my wife's hair when she was a child, and uh, so to her family it will always be known as see a llama. See, I would love to have like um, <clears throat> like a vintage windbreaker or like there's some weird old like patches and like i was looking around like there's a bunch of like old patches and yeah t-shirts yeah. and some of the old like oh. logos and stuff i would love to have some of that that's, vintage vintage gear that's one of my favorite things of that book is that uh he he's collected a lot of uh memorabilia uh through the years of Sierrama, including a lot of you know ads and promotional items and uh he's got a lot of photos of the maps that show the the changing park attractions through the years. I mean, we barely scratched the surface of all of the many things that they, you know, that they tried out and they offered um, at Sierrama. At one point, they had a an old schooner that they had salvaged, um, like a sailing schooner that they tried to turn into an attraction. They even one summer had a, a musical review that they performed on the deck of this old schooner. Um, so they. They tried all sorts of things to uh, to keep it, you know, lively and uh, attractive to tourists. Now, for me, one of the biggest memories, other than uh, the porpoises, uh, which is again we've spoken, obviously that's the thing that most people remember, um, was the ski show. Um, I grew up uh, water skiing, and uh, one of the things that was always interesting to me, and is kind of a part of our history, personal history, I guess, is that our, uh, the boat that we had that I learned to ski behind as a kid, uh, my dad had purchased from Sierrama. It was one of the, uh, old ski show boats. you know, I guess as they used them, they would, uh, trade, sell them and buy new ones to keep them fresh and all of that. And, uh, so he bought one of their ski boats. And so we had that for many years. Um, so <clears throat> Well, that's Pretty funny. Cool. I, like the yeah, that note about that old yeah, it was an old Chrysler boat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then I started like when growing up, we had a boat. It was an old like nineteen sixties Chrysler Fury, and there were these little this little yellow fiberglass boat with this big old outboard sitting on the back. So I sent you a picture yep. of what they look like. That refreshes the memory. But you know, it's a funny walk down memory lane. Like you say, I loved. 
water skiing and ski shows where you know, I was kind of obsessed about it and um we just didn't get to see a lot of them and and it's a shame that these were these were here and missed it. I did find a picture too. Uh, we'll have to put it on the site of the uh, the schooner and the ski show people in their um, late '80s costume pirate wear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I, I want to find a YouTube video of Smash. The Smash yes. inspired. You know, I, I didn't do a whole lot of searching for for video and stuff. I'm sure there's some uh, small amount out there. Um, but yeah, I've got I, a pitch. I've got a pitch for you guys. It's gonna be great. Yeah, we're and, gonna do a water show, <laughs> and it's based on Mash, Mash, yeah. the TV show with the doctors and the Korean well, War. Something you yeah. have. To, <laughs> something you have to remember with these ski shows, though, is that they're they're meant to be hokey. Oh, I know. And, uh, I know. I know. You know, and and that's always there's always that aspect to it. It's like the main thing you're there to see is the the tricks. But you know, if you just do the tricks then the whole thing's over in like three minutes but I, so, I am with i am with mike every time i think of a water ski show i immediately go to jaws 3d yeah <laughs> Such a, just, i know right it's it's burned into my brain yeah uh, but you know what i always another thing i always liked about Rama is that it was local you know it, it wasn't uh, a big out-of-town corporation coming in and and saying hey we're going to put our franchise and stamp it down in your town it was like you know a very very much community backed community supported um attraction and you know it the truth is that it probably was going to decline and and fade away uh, regardless of whether SeaWorld came to Texas but um yeah because Galveston was fading away in a, in a lot of ways unfortunately at the time yeah, but that I, was a down I mean, period. That was a down period for Galveston in general. But, so yeah, but I mean, Ciarama had already had declining attendance and rising costs, and there were maintenance issues and all of that. And it was just SeaWorld coming in there and and uh, opening in the late '80s, uh, kind of was just the the final blow to Ciarama. You know, everybody was like, "Well, we're going to go to the new modern facilities," um, and you know. There just wasn't as much reason to to go down to Galveston. Um, my one, well, not my one. Okay, one regret I have is that I never made it down there to go uh, see the site again before it was torn down. Um, there is a, a site that I'll try to remember to link in the show notes of a um, someone had gone in there in the early two thousands before it was torn down and taken a bunch of uh, you know urban explorer type uh, photos of the. Uh, the old facilities and it, it's just really you know kind of one of those um dead mall sort of things where it's like here's this old derelict building with all the all the guts ripped out and it's just the empty shell and it's just kind of kind of interesting to see it in that light yeah well I, and i i think you, you hit on a good point is that it, it was local it was it was something that was organic and homegrown and and in a lot of ways from the same time period six flags was the same way it was it was uniquely Six Flags was uniquely Texas. Uh, it was homegrown. It was home supported and and home built before it became a major corporation. Uh, and so I think the Rama, you know, they both kind of arose at the same time. Now the one that I uh, the one that I actually have more firm memories of is is as I mentioned, Aquarina Springs, mm-hmm. with Ralph the Swimming Pig. So yes, um, and and there's still some some small vestiges of of Aquarina Springs in the fact that it's now a research facility with. Uh, uh, that that can still be visited. So that's uh, more of a footprint for that than than sadly than for uh, 
Siorama. Yep. I think if you go to where I think Siorama was, I, I had trouble finding it. It looks like there's address. a, yeah, it looks like there's a, if you go to Google Maps, you can kind of see where Seawall Boulevard and, and like 90th and 89th Street are. So if you keep going a little bit, there, there's a, there's a the Galveston Go Kart and Fun Center. Looks like there's a big yeah. like earth depression behind it in a big circular pattern. So that may be where like the main building was, possibly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's the the right the right uh, general, general area. area. Yeah. 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 The ski lake is still there apparently. So that's uh, kind of what I followed to to find it on the map. So if you're gonna fire up Google Maps and look for it, uh, go to 89th or uh, 91st Street and Seawall Boulevard in Galveston, and uh, maybe you can yeah. find it. It's not far from the airport. No. So yeah, Seorama. Yeah. Um, again, I recommend you check out that book, Seorama Marine World, by uh, Tim Gould. Uh, he's got a little lot of really great stories in there. A lot more details than uh, we can cover on our show. Um, I mean, we could just read the whole thing to you, but uh, you'd get a lot more out of it looking at it yourself. And hey, you know, Galveston is making a big tourist comeback. You know, the historic Pleasure Pier is operating. You've got Sugarbaum and Moody Gardens on the other side of the island. So, and then uh, in the very near future, you know, there's going to be the major development in Texas City just on the inside of the the bridge. Yep. Uh, so, hey. Get in now. Get your get your uh, get your vacation home on Galveston now. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> All right. Fun times at Texas Past. I know. I know. There's only about a hundred other dead amusement parks we have to cover now. <laughs> <laughs> but see, Rama, great job, Tim. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I am Scotticus. You love this show. You love being entertained. Tales of Dead Amusement Parks. So get out there, tell your friends about what we're doing, and leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.